Welcome to the Locked On Grizzlies podcast. My name is Sean Coleman. Hope wherever you are and wherever you are listening, you are having an outstanding into your weekend. And obviously, if you're a Grizzlies fan, there's plenty to be excited about. And one of my favorite minds when it comes to the Grizzlies, we've had him on as a guest of the show before, for the show. Matt Herdlicka has been kind enough to join us once again to talk all things Grizzlies as we get into the holiday stretch. Matt, how are you, sir? And happy holidays to you. Happy holidays to you too, Sean. I'm doing great. Glad to hear it. Of, of course, uh, for many, uh, for over the past uh, several years, many have come to enjoy Matt's takes when it comes to the Grizzlies. I know that he used to write uh, for Grizzly Bear Blues, uh, frequent guest uh, uh, talking with uh, Chris Harrington and others. And obviously, uh, we've had him on the show here before. He also has a Patreon page. If you're not enjoying his work over at Patreon on his Patreon page, you're missing out. Goes to a good cause, but also great insight when it comes to the Grizzlies. So Matt, let's get right into it. So we're eight days or nine days since John Morant went down and it was in the midst of the sixth game so far this season where the Grizzlies have been basically blown out. They've lost by 20 or more points. It seemed like things were going in the direction many of us didn't want it to go in. And lo and behold, knowing the Grizzlies, they've now won four straight in one of the more impressive stretches we've seen with Tim under Taylor Jenkins Obviously, without Jaw, it's quite impressive. But what has stood out to you um, the most about what has turned around? Why the Grizzlies are finding success now, especially without Jaw? Yeah, well, I think I think two things, three things stand out. Like two things aren't really like necessarily positive. But last year when Jaw went out, the team like basically kind of treaded water. You know, they were around five hundred. Uh, I believe weren't they about 500 during the games he missed last year? And uh, they were and they were four and four. Yep, they were four and four. Okay, yeah. And he came back like quicker than everybody thought. Like one day it was kind of like, oh, he's questionable, and then like literally the next game he played. Uh, so that's I kind of like I almost got to write on something, but I've been so busy lately, and that was gonna kind of be my prior, which was like they're gonna be all right without him. As weird as that sounds, like. You know, they and they, and then the other thing is, I looked at the schedule and I was like, oh man, these teams, like you know, it's not it's not necessarily a feather in your cap to beat Oklahoma City, although it is, you know, the, the margin is a feather in the cap, but uh, you know, it, it kind of is a combination of I thought they would be okay without him, and then on top of that, they've gotten relatively lucky with the schedule and with opponent injuries. Uh, you know, Sacramento was missing two starters, Oklahoma City was missing two starters, and obviously. Uh, arguably the biggest game of the year not probably not arguably the biggest game of the year last night when they beat uh Dallas um without Luka um so those two things I think are probably the biggest reasons for their success just I didn't think that they were you know gonna tank all of a sudden and then you know the schedule has kind of been kind to them but then the third thing is is to me is Jaron kind of just kind of plugging the gap and really it just seems like he's out there to playing as if he is the best player on the Grizzlies, if not the whole court. Um, just an overall, like, energy level and assertiveness on offense and um, just looking to be involved. Um, and I don't know how far you want to go with this, but it just seems to me like not that they're better without Ja. I think that that's kind of uh, – but it is – the context is different, where the offense is no longer – 
Ja has the ball and everybody kind of works off him. It's a little bit more free-flowing, so it frees up Jaron to kind of find himself. And I think that's been good for him. I don't know. I don't know. You may have an opinion on this, but I don't know if it necessarily snaps back when Ja comes back because the context will be different. Ja will be back. He'll have the ball in his hands. And I wonder if Jaron won't necessarily be able to, you know, I wonder if his assertiveness will go away. Um, what, what do you think about that? I mean, I hope not. And and, and you, you that, that's why I enjoy talking with you is because you're, the way that you look at things, it, 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 it takes a subject that I'm sure, you know, many of us have, you know, I, I find this around Memphis, like, you know, I'll be thinking of something and I'll see the perspective of somebody else when it comes to those who cover the Grizzlies. Um, and it, 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 it's amazing to see how different perspectives can really broaden your stance on understanding something. A big, a, one of the uh, more memorable pieces that you wrote about this year was the intuitiveness uh, you know, of Jaron Jackson Jr., basically trusting his talent. And to me, what really, you know, the trigger point was that he was now in a place where he and the Grizzlies had no other choice but for mm-hmm. him to trust his talent. We've mm-hmm. seen the flashes this year, but now we needed to see it consistently. And that's what we've seen over the past 10 days. And that was what going to be my next question is you wrote about it, talking about that what you were hoping to see eventually was Jaron trusting his talent more. Not only has it happened, but the wave of success from it happening, I think has been more than anybody really anticipated. Like we, we, we've gone to a whole new, different level overnight with Jaron, and it's wonderful to see. Yeah, and and I was I wrote like a Jaron. Um, I've been kind of like writing about him a lot, a lot in in, in an extreme depth. But you know, preseason, the biggest question for me was like, what? I had wide error bars for what he was going to do this year. Like, I just didn't. I wasn't. I wasn't negative on him. It was just like I have no idea what we can expect. Like, he has so far to go relative to what we had seen when he came back from injury, and. The early signs were decent. I mean, you've been on this a little bit too, where, you know, the things, him doing the big man stuff has been an improvement. And it was an improvement even early on, but that is just slowly, incrementally kicked up. Like he's made these small improvements, not game by game, but like week to week, where he's just doing more and more of the big man stuff. And now with Ja out, he's also doing the offensive stuff too. And I wonder, I, I, I'm a little on the fence of like, I, again, wide error bars. I don't know what it's going to look like once Ja comes back with him on offense. He may just be a lot of a spot-up shooter again. But when Ja is out of the game, I wonder, I wonder if he's able to like float second units with his, with his creation. Um, Especially when he gets out there, I think it's I think it's not only that he has more opportunity without Ja, but it's also that he's playing with more opportunity and the good shooters. Like he's he's out there when once they take Stephen Adams out, like the lane is pretty open for him. Um, until everybody finds out Santi Aldama can't shoot. But, like, you know what I mean? Like, he's playing with the spread. Like, they're almost playing five out when he when he goes to center. Um, and and then, you know, sometimes Clark is, is doing the pick and roll. But I, I, do, I do think the defensive stuff is here to stay. Um, you know, the assertiveness, the playmaking, just the, just the idea that he 
can contest without fouling and really affect the game that way. I'm kind of on the fence about the, the offensive stuff. Like, I do think the context matters. And I don't know if it's just easy to say, oh, he's this now, and then Ja comes back, and suddenly we're, we're totally awesome. You know, some of that isn't going to be additive, I guess. That's, that's kind of like where, where my head's at. Um, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I think it is. And, and that, you know, kind of in a di- different way, like, you know, I talked about with Jaron now not having a choice but to trust himself mm-hmm. for the benefit of himself and for the Grizzlies. I think that that's what you're kind of looking at this year is that now when Jaw comes back, you're kind of like, okay, we really don't have a choice. Like, we know Jaron has shined with Jaw out. And I think that one of the things you saw Taylor Jenkins do with Jaw in the lineup is that he would take Jaron out early and feature mm-hmm. Jaron with Brandon Clark against some second units to build up Jaron's trust without Jaw being there as the catalyst. I think that's helped out this instance, you know, where Jaron has shined. But now when Jaw comes back, you've got to figure out, okay, Jaw, yes, he's the focal point, he's the engine, all that different stuff. But we need to take advantage of the fact that if teams come up and start blitzing Jaw, Jaron can do some stuff on his own. And Jaw and Jaron have got to learn to be able to do that. So I think it's the same instance where Jaron didn't have a choice but to trust his talents once they're back. When Jaw does come back, now you've got really, you can't leave him with the choice but to work with each other and get it figured out. And I'll take it one step further, um, you know, Matt, because I don't I don't want to get too much into this, but some interesting conversations about, you know, well, the team is doing so well without Jaw, all this different stuff. Just to get right to the point, I think Jaw Moran is a winning player. His counting statistics are up there with some of the best in the game. The impact, though, especially when you get into the advanced analytics, are not necessarily there with those other big names. Do you feel that Jaw may not be what you would call an analytic starling for a way of putting it? I think that he impacts winning, but I don't think that we're to the point yet where it's backed up by those analytics. Perhaps as his defense get better, gets better, it may. But John Morant may just be, I don't want to say a Russell Westbrook type player. I think he'll be more impactful in winning than Westbrook. But the counting statistics will be there while the advanced analytics impact may not always be. Do, do you kind of see that with John Morant in the way? Well, you know, the impact statistics, like, outside of, like, you know, Luca and, and, and maybe Trey, like, he's still just a third-year player. And the impact statistics don't necessarily show that many, you know, primary ball handlers who are 20, 21, really affecting the game. Like, he has a long he – he's going to get better. Um, I think I'll take this question this way. I think what we've seen – is that, yes, the defense gets a little bit better with Tyus Jones as opposed to the jaw out there with the starters. Um, definitely not better. Like, he's a winning player. There's really not a debate about that, I don't think. Um, and But I do think that him being out sort of, like, shows what the Grizzlies need to build around him, which is that they're going to have to – he's probably always going to be something of a minus defender – now, there's a difference between being total, like, you know, first percentile worst defender in the league, which I'm not saying he is, but there's a difference between being that bad and being, like, marginally bad. Like, the difference between the worst point guard defender and, the and like, still a, just, like, a subpar defender, just a run-of-the-mill subpar defender, is massive. So, even if you take that, he's a subpar defender, and he always will be. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying hypothetically. What you need to do is you need to get the offense. You get, need to get the defense to, 
you need to surround him with enough defensive talent to sort of mask that, assuming that that will always be a weakness. And I think that that's probably what the Grizzlies need to do long term is, you know, if he's part of the if he's if he's your number one, and then you're always going to have Desmond Bain in there, then Jaron better be awesome defensively, and the other two guys on the court better be awesome defensively. So, you know, that's kind of what I've been thinking about with Jaw out. I mean, just kind of looking at the defense. I mean, and again, they have gotten extremely lucky with opponents, and you know they've finally gotten some opponent luck. Um, so the defense is like their defense has been good because they've been playing a lot of crappy teams <laughs> without Luca. Like, you know, Luca's in that game last night. It looked a little bit different probably. Um, but I, I think, I think that's what I've been thinking about is, is surrounding jaw, making, not making his life easier on defense, but, but masking that weakness. Um, so winning player or not, like, I think he's a winning player, but I do think that the defensive weakness, is something you're always going to have to kind of like contend with. No, that's what I've been thinking of as well. That's what stood out to me, especially with how good the defense is. Yes, of course, <laughs> their competition matters. But, you know, I think that the Grizzlies' secret to success to be a sustainable winner is having one of the best defenses in the league and then trusting Jaw, Jaron, and the rest, hopefully to get another significant talent on their level eventually in time who can really make the offense go as well. But I think that you hit the key, and I've seen Peter Edmondson hit on this as well. You bring up a very good point. It's great to see Jaron playing like he is, but when Jaw comes, you're going to have to trust it. Taylor Jenkins is going to have to figure out how to. If you want to feature Jaw, that's fine. But if the defense takes that away, then feature Jaron. But something else that's being featured, and it's a very exciting to see this development, is Desmond Bain. Obviously, the big game last night, you know, the fun comments after the game. I don't necessarily know, you know, we could make a case for him to be in the MIP conversation, most improved player. But in general, Matt, we know that he is a, a very, very talented three-point shooter, what we've needed for years, obviously, for those who have been fans for decades for the Grizzlies. But his overall emergence as a three-level score off the dribble, dribble, things like that, he is really turning into someone that's going to be a key component to just how much of a sustainable winner and co- potential contender the Grizzlies will be, I think, with the overall evolution of his offensive game. Yeah, Bain's been great. And um, I think the thing that surprised about me about, I guess it probably shouldn't have surprised me, but his three-level scoring is really predicated on the fact that the defense is just selling out on on his jump shot. Like that, if he wasn't the shooter, he wouldn't be getting to the rim. He wouldn't be getting, you know, into the paint. Um, but his shot sets up everything else, and he's already learning how to leverage that. Um, you know, he's just really good at sort of like, He's coming and he notices that the defense is, is trying to meet him at a spot at the three-point line. And this isn't even clo- finishing – this isn't even like attacking a closeout. This is more like I'm coming around a screen uh, or a DHO or something, and that help defender – I haven't even caught the ball. And the help, I can see the help defender trying to meet me at the three-point line and take away that. I'm just going to go straight line to the, to the basket. Like he hasn't even caught the ball yet, and you can see him just plant his back foot and almost like – almost like a running back working a stretch play. Like he just sees the gap and he goes. And, you know, he, he's just been really good, you know? I can't, and I, I wonder, I wonder to a certain extent if, you know, the, again, going back to like the point guard, like uh, the backup point guard issue, um, 
do Bain, Melton, and Kyle and Dylan? Because I, I guess I should I should back up for a second. Part of what it's been interesting for me with Jaw out is seeing Tyus with the starters. Because with Tyus with the starters, what do you do when Tyus is out of the bench, out of the game? Like who is the backup point guard there? And they've kind of been doing it by committee. And that's just been really interesting to me. Like, you know, if you were able to move on from Tyus and sort of like cobble together the backup point guard between like Bain being, Bain or Melton being the point guard sized guy, and then whoever grabs the rebound, whether it's Kyle, whether it's Dylan, Bain, whoever, just bringing the ball up and sort of like running the offense because a lot of their, their stuff is when, when the, when jaw is not, doesn't have the ball in their hands. It's not a lot of set plays. It's a lot of like free flowing react, you know, the ball goes in the high post. They're all, they're constantly uh, cutting back door. They're doing a lot of DHOs and off the DHO. It's like, if the defense does this, we're going to do this. And it just opens up a lot more opportunity. And it doesn't, you don't necessarily need a point guard to get you into something like that. Like you're really working off of the big man and what the defense does at that point. Um, So that's kind of been the other thing I've been thinking about is how, how not, to, not that I want to get rid of Tyus because he's been good, but you know, they've got to pay him eventually and you, you can't pay everybody. So is this a, can they get enough out of, especially featuring Bain uh, in this way? Um, you know, could he be like a backup point guard type thing or, you know, him and Melton and Kyle together? Or is that enough? Um, that has been interesting and Bain's been a big part of that. Well, and I think that that, and that's something that we'll get into in just a moment. But the thing that I'll say is this, you bring up a very good point. It's the fact that one of the things that I think that stands out about this, Matt, this season so far, listen, I know we've been up and down. I know it's been great to have this stretch over the past week, but just 10 days ago, we were all worried because we were getting blown out every weekend Mm -hmm. game that we had. But if you look at it from the perspective of player improvement, Jaws got to the next level. Jaron's gotten to a next level. Bain's gotten to a next level. The, uh, Tyus is performing better. Individually, there's a lot of players who have shown improvement as time has gone on. Matt, does that when you look at this season, and if you were to look at it from a positive perspective, does that stand out to you more? Or the other side of things that I was really hoping was to see us show a bit of a step forward in terms of shooting and defending the three. Unfortunately, the early results have not been that. Your thoughts on you know the, us wanting to feature the three more, our defense returning to form, is the struggles there, does it stand out more than the individual improvements we, we've seen? Or is it vice versa when you kind of assess this team a quarter of the way through the season? Yeah, the defensive struggle has been really confusing for me because it's like, I don't know how much of it. They did have the, I haven't checked this stat in a long time, but um, yeah, Chris Vernon and then Chris Harrington both mentioned it. And I was like, okay, this makes me feel a little bit better. Essentially, the Grizzlies had had the worst opponent three-point shooting luck um, in the entire league. Like they were, opponents were shooting like 40-something maybe like 41% at one point from three, which is just, it's It's down down 38. 38. Okay. So, so that's not the Grizzlies. Like that's just opponent luck. Like, you know, you, you, you look at that stat year to year and it goes back down to towards, towards league average, like 38% is probably like at the top end of, of what league average would be considered 
um, or what would be considered like, okay, you're no longer getting unlucky. There's probably something going on with you defending the three. But 41%, 40% is just not sustainable. And you're just getting like a couple shots that all, don't always go in are going in. And that's not necessarily your fault. Um, so that made me feel a little bit more encouraged. But um, to, to get to your point, I mean, like Melton has really taken a step forward on his three-point shooting. And they've clearly like, they as much as much as more as they have emphasized the three to me the biggest issue with the roster right now is that if jaron isn't in the game they don't have two functional they don't have a four and a five that can shoot like they they you're playing kyle and adams or kyle and tillman or kyle and clark or any any combination of those guys does not work offensively especially with the point guards they have that are relative non-shooters like you just one of those guys has to be able to shoot when jaron's in the game it's fine because he can shoot and then you you have one roller and everything's all right and jock can do a little bit of that but they need to get you know like rookie brandon clark hit enough threes to make that fine and tillman down the stretch i mean he hit that huge massive shot in the golden state game the playing game to you know the three late to win them that game or to you know it was a huge game it was a huge shot they haven't gotten that and that has been sort of like with them shooting more threes they still need another shooter in the front court to kind of like juice the offense enough they just don't have it um and i do think they're going to have to make a choice between like even if they just had a neutral talent like swapping out one of those guys for a guy who is as good but shot like that that wouldn't make the team better because it is the the front court doesn't work if Jaron's not in the game no i completely agree and, and that leads us to uh you know the where we get into a bit of fun you know i know that me and you have discussed it on twitter joe mullinax others as well parker fleming you know, I, I brought up the conversation about a, a Kyle Anderson extension a few weeks back because I thought that he was playing well. I thought that the shot was going to be there, you know, not as good as it was in the first half of last year, but perhaps could be there to be reliable. It seems as if it may not be that reliable, as you pointed out and others. I think that he could still shoot 35%, but regardless of it, there's depth and there's name in our front court, Matt. There's not a lot of certainty, especially with what Taylor Jenkins wants to do, because Stephen Adams nor Brandon Clark are shooter shooting threats beyond the arc at all, and Tillman and, and Kyle Anderson have to have a lot of space to get it done. So this brings me to my point when we talk about Kyle Anderson, when we talk about Tyus Jones, say we get through this month of December, we have a successful month, we're clearly right in there, maybe even above the play-in in the playoff race. Jaw gets back. Now you get into January. Tyus Jones has played a significant role in this team. Kyle Anderson has been a veteran presence. The thing that I want to ask you is this, is that over the next month, is it going to help to determine what you eventually may want to do with those two veteran talents on expiring contracts? We can keep them. We can trade them for future assets. Use them as a money matching piece if we really, really want to get aggressive to get a piece for this year and beyond. I mean, do you think that we're coming up on decision time to where it's not just keeping them, but really there's a lot of different ways we can go with extracting value from Tyus Jones and Kyle Anderson for the future? Yeah, and I would throw in, well, first, I think 
I think any trade right now would be hasty because they just need to kind of let this thing play out a month, a month and a half, like get almost all the way. I like, I don't, unless somebody just knocks your socks off, I just think you need to kind of let this thing breathe and sort of like figure out what you have. Now, as far as, I mean, I know you know this, but I'll just say it for your listeners. As far as a Kyle extension, the worst, the, the worst case scenario is that he leaves in the off season for nothing. Um, and you, you stay over the cap. The best case scenario is that you stay, you operate as a cap team, or I'm sorry, as an over the cap team with a Kyle extension, because that means you've probably swung a trade that has changed, that has made it to where you're not like going out and signing a free agent. You're, you're sort of like pre-spending your free agency money by trading, whether it's Tyus Jones, Jarrett Culver, um, you know, Sam Merrill, just some of these expirings that you have. Um, and that, that player is either re-signed or on a contract that then keeps you over the cap. And then you can sign Kyle to, to an extension. Um, because you're kind of double dipping. You wouldn't have the ability if you used cap space to then sign a player like Kyle Anderson. So it kind of is like a, a bonus sort of like you get to keep your own guy because you've never had to use cap space. Um, and then, you know, the other piece of it is we, they have three first round picks next year. We know they're probably not going to be bringing in three rookies. So you sort of have an extra first round pick, at least one to sort of bandy about and try to get an upgrade. I think that upgrade will probably come in the form of somebody they want, you know, it'll probably be a big wing um, that they want to keep around either with a long-term contract or some kind of extension. I floated uh, TJ Warren. Um, Obviously he hasn't played this year, so I don't have like a strong opinion on that, but assuming he was healthy or, you know, they got some significance. And then Kyle has a little piece of this too, because, it kind of is up to him. I mean, he doesn't have to sign a contract. He doesn't have to sign an extension. He may be telling the Grizzlies, like, look, if you want to keep me, you've got to pay me in an extension like $15 million a year with max raises for four years. You know, you're getting over, you're getting close to probably like $65 million at that point. And I don't know if like the Grizzlies may say, you know what, that's probably a little rich for our blood. We're going to pass. We're going to then they're going to trade them. I mean, they they have definitely had a conversation with his agent about an extension and they know what the number is. So that factors in too. They may just look at the number that he wants and say, yeah, we're, we're fine trading him." you know? So if, if he's, if he's traded just on the value proposition of his next deal, um, it may not have any bearing. Like they could just move him for an asset because they don't want, we know about this front office that, they're not going to sign a contract they think it's negative that will be negative unless it's like the last piece of the puzzle and we're just not there to the last piece of the puzzle so if 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 the contract extension talks they've had with Kyle's agent are just prohibitive then they're going to trade him and the other thing that I'll say and again you know like you mentioned was you know nothing needs to be done right now like when it comes to the grizzlies i truly feel you're still 6 weeks out before you really even make a move because yeah. you want to know more about your team you one big thing that we've hit on is i would like at least a month to take what this team has done without jaw 
and then put that with when he gets back and see if Taylor Jenkins and the staff can figure out a good medium. Obviously, you're going to let Jaw be Jaw and work off that, but can these players remain as effective once he's back? Again, that's nothing negative against everybody. These are good problems to have. But going along with that, Matt, you've talked in the past about remove Kyle, remove Tyus. You know, we we, we know Jaw, Jaron, Dylan are, are probably long-term pieces. Dylan is a conversation for another time. But we've also talked about these bat the, the, these pairings where you've got good depth, but do you eventually have to make choices? A DeAnthony and a Desmond. Certainly seems like Desmond is, you know, going to have the long-term future. DeAnthony is signed long-term. You've got Brandon Clark and, and um, Xavier Tillman for multiple years. But beyond Tyus and Kyle, while it's a good thing all these players are playing well, you're eventually going to see this season play out to where continuing to see who plays well may eventually decide who stays long-term between a Melton and a Clark and a Tillman and others, and who may eventually be a part of that, you know, a future trade package as well amongst those younger players. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, the returns with Jaron and Clark have been like, you look at the the lineups with those two guys in it and they're, they're pretty heavily plus, you know, and you can kind of see the outline of, okay, I mean, the biggest question for me coming into the season was, is Jaron at center going to work? Because that's why they got Adams. They got him on a two-year deal because they didn't want to commit to Jonas for multiple years. You know, um, you know, the extension he signed in New Orleans looks good, but I guarantee you he's asking for more from the, than that from the Grizzlies. And they just probably made a judgment that, you know, we don't want to lock in for three more years or four more years because – Jaron, we need to know if Jaron's our center. And they know now, like, Jaron, I want to give it more time because you don't need a rush to judgment. But the returns of Jaron at center playing as the primary rim protector are extremely good. And so, you know, you need – that was the biggest question. We have a, a pretty good, you know, probably most of an answer there that, that he can take that. And so you can kind of, like – right center off of your checklist and just say like we you know like we don't necessarily need Adams we're not trying to get rid of him but you know that might be the matching salary plus you know something plus a first round pick to get up to a guy making a lot of money um I mean there aren't that many of those guys available right now but you know it's it's kind of like everybody's in a rush to make these trades and sometimes the best thing to do is let these things play out um I've always been kind of like curious about the whole, eventually they're probably not keeping Clark and Tillman. You know, the fact that Clark has returned, the the fact that Clark and Jaron have played so well as a front court pairing this year, it, like we won't, we wouldn't have gotten that answer had we rushed to a trade. And I think we, the, the, the front office probably has a better idea of, if we keep Clark, like how, how good can we be with, with Clark and Jaron and, you know, jaw and then fill out the other two wings between Bain, Dylan, Kyle, Melton. You know, like they know they're going to be pretty good. Probably not. You know, we can win a first. You know, a first round playoff series good, but they know at least this year, like we get those guys on the court together, we'll be pretty good. We'll take our chances. They didn't know that last year because Brandon played terribly last year, but they know that this year now. So that I mean, you just. What are you going to know again in six months or six weeks, like you said? I think we need to kind of let these things play out a little bit. 
We're here with Matt Herdlicka. You can follow him and his great work via his Patreon page. I cannot, I cannot suggest enough, encourage you enough, speak highly enough of his great work through his Patreon page. Again, great, goes to a great cause, but also great insight. Again, at the real Herdlicka, H-R-D-L-I-C-K. A few more questions here with Matt. So, Matt, we talk about it being a good problem to have, and I, I had talked about it at the beginning of the season, that even more than wins than losses, can the Grizzlies have a good problem to have where Ja takes the next step, Jaron takes the next step. A lot of these players that we had questions about, whether they can sustain success, get back to success, a lot of these are working out in good ways. We just talked about that a evolved version of this team is a great defensive team with Ja leading the offense, leading a versatile offense. We know that the defense was good last year. We know that Ja can play at an all, you know, all-star, all-NBA level. When you look at this team, Matt, and you try to figure out the true identity of this team, is there an aspect of this team that you feel really needs to stay consistent, or is there something that, despite their success, you really would like to see them improve upon, where if they do that, you truly know they've taken the next step? I hope I'm not making that question too complicated, but I feel like we're having success, but we're still in the process of evolving to the next version of the Grizzlies. What might it be? What aspect of what you think will make make this team successful is that? One thing that you really would like to continue to see improvement on. Yeah, I mean, like the thing we all have to keep in our heads is that this team is maddeningly, they have been inconsistent for like they were inconsistent last year. Like, you know, everybody remembers the uh the play in games and, you know, the first round we took a game off the jazz and Jaw looked amazing. And, you know, the season ended on such a high note. Last season was a slog. And it was like brutal to watch sometimes because they would it was kinda like this year where, oh man, we're terrible. We can't beat anybody. Oh man, we just beat, you know, we just won three straight or then they would go and lose three straight. And it's just, this is what happens with young teams. And I need to, I guess the thing you expect consistency with age. So that's just kind of like baked into the whole thing. They're going to get more consistent. They're going to just like have that institutional knowledge and they will just get better. But if there's a single attribute that they need to get better at, they need to get better at defense. Like it's just like not a mystery. You know, like, they're just a bad defensive team, you know, the, the last three games set aside because, you know, maybe they're playing harder. Maybe it's just they've been playing crappy teams. Maybe they've just gotten lucky and shots aren't going in. Uh, Lord knows the Dallas Mavericks missed a lot of open threes last night. I mean, you know, that doesn't happen every time. So they just need to get a little bit more consistent. They're all young. Like, even Melton is, like, 22 or something like 23, like he's young. Um, he's on a second contract already, but he's young. And like Bain is, I think Bain and Milton are the same age or something, but most of this team is like 24, 25 and under. Um, the best two players on the team, like are 22. It's, it's wild how young this team is. So, you know, we just need, and I'm, I'm kind of like doing that off the cuff. I don't know these ages like exactly, but suffice it to say, this team is young. The consistency will come, and part of that consistency has to, has to, has to be getting back to a defensive identity that we had last year. They had, they had a defensive identity last year 
and they need to get back to some of that. And then the offense, you know, the offensive improvement, I think, is real. So they need to kind of bring the defense and then hope the offense gets back to – stays at the level it is. And then they're going to be pretty damn good. Like, it's just not a mystery, you know. They have to get better defense. And the other thing that I'll say is this is that you're right. You know, you, you look at, I look at it as a, as a calendar year. I know that we, mm-hmm. it, that it's been two seasons, but really we're still less than a year away from when last year started. That's how much basketball oh we see. It, it's crazy, but you bring up a good point in that a few weeks in late May and early June and, and a week like this, and, 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 you know, a few weeks in April, basically a month or six weeks out of the season, it shouldn't take us away or hide us from the fact that the other 10 and a half months so far this year, the Grizzlies have been very inconsistent. And that's what you get with young teams. But I think the other thing that stands out is, and I, you know, we, we, we hinted at it a little bit, and I'm sure we'll talk with you again as we get closer to the trade deadline. We'll save that for another time. But what the point that I'm getting at is Anthony Sane talked about it, and I've mentioned it again. I do think once that hits 2022, the data accumulation, whatever you want to call it, you know, taking time to see what's going on, all this different stuff. I think once this next summer comes up, that gets left behind. We've got the sense of urgency that Kleiman said it himself to move forward and establish ourselves as a sustainable winner. My question to you is Taylor Jenkins. I feel encouraged about how he's done this calendar year, how the individuals have improved. I do feel at times that the defense stood out last year while it's the offense this year getting that consistency. But your thought on Taylor Jenkins, I'm not going to put you on the spot here. He's done absolutely amazing during the rebuild. I do feel encouraged that he certainly is going to be the right guiding voice to help us take that next step to being a sustainable winner over the next few seasons and hopefully beyond. Yeah, Taylor's a good coach. Like, it's not like who 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 among who thinks he's not a good coach? Like, I don't understand. I would like to actually. I don't want to talk to that person because I probably we would just be talking past each other. But like, he's a good coach. Like, he crafted a top. 10 defense out of a out of, out of a team last year that didn't necessarily I mean we're seeing uh, you know like it, it, he's a good coach I, I don't know what else to say and we have no reason like you know coaches don't last in the NBA he may not be the guy that takes them to like when they're winning the peak number of games in the John Morant era um, he may not be the coach but we have no evidence right now that he's not the guy to do that. And we have no evidence now that he's not the right guy to like guide this team for the foreseeable future. Like he's a good coach. Um, He's dealt with a lot of injuries and he has sort of put like his stamp on the team every single year, as far as like generating more threes, Trying to get the defense. I mean, last year I was convinced like he was a good defensive coach, and this year, like, you know, I mean, I if I knew where they were on defense, I would have changed. Like right now, I would have changed a lot of my thoughts in the off season. You know, this last off season, in terms of like where I thought the Grizzlies would be. But even with this defense that has underperformed, like they're in fourth place by you know they're like three games out of tenth place. But we'll leave that aside, and like they're they're doing well, like. You know, you can pick nits about an individual game and, like, who is in the game and stuff, but you really can't argue with results. And, like, 
okay, let's say you don't think he's the right person. Somebody out there doesn't think the right person. Like you have to have somebody to replace him with. And I don't see anybody out there that I would want coaching my team other than Taylor Jenkins. And I don't really think that, you know, I will find somebody like there aren't that many guys that I would be like, that's a clear upgrade. You know, uh, if anything, uh, a pessimist on Taylor would say he still has to prove X, Y, and Z. But I don't think very many people can say he's bad at something. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's more unproven than just like a negative. As Taylor Jenkins preaches to the roster and the roster itself will say, not too high, not too low. It certainly seems Matt, you know, myself, others, you know, I, I know that there's instant reaction. I know that it's fun for these time of things, but there's still plenty of time and also plenty of work to be done for this team, along with development for this team to get the consistency that it's going to need for results like this to happen frequently that we've seen over the past week. His name is Matt Herdlicka. You can follow him at the real Herdlicka, HRD. L-I-C-K, the real H-R-D-L-I-C-K. Matt, what can people look forward to from you for the rest of this year? Obviously, your Patreon page and uh, just in general, uh, your thoughts for the uh, Grizzlies upcoming uh, calendar for the rest of the year. Well, I'm going to find time, hopefully in the next week, to write sort of like a sort of like the stuff we've been talking about, sort of like a quarterly, a third of the season review of like, what was I what was I wondering about in the offseason and what questions have been answered? You know, Jaron Jaron proving capable at center is a big one. But just kind of check checking in. I think I think Dylan's return to the roster has been kind of sneaky interesting. Because he's not like he is playing the same way he used to, but he's not really. Um and then just, you know, I towards the end of the year I'll just plug one thing. I typically do a book review where I, I list all the books I've read during the whole year. And I've done that for the last probably like five years or so. So I'll be coming out with that near the end of this month. But um, really, it's just like the quarterly review. And I don't do much like game stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just it's it's going to be probably like I think if we were to have this podcast in a week, we probably would have like been like, oh, man, the Grizzlies can't beat anybody because they've lost two straight. But, you know, they lost another one by double digits because that's just what, what happens with this team, it seems like. So I don't know. Well, well, let's hope that that's not the case in, in a week or two. And you bring up another fun point. Listen, I, we we didn't talk that much about Dylan Brooks because Dylan has just been Dylan. Like you, you yeah. get the efficient, inefficient offensive games and you get the gritty, effective defender. So it's, it's, it's crazy that through all this inconsistency and through trying to figure it all out, the player we don't talk about is Dylan. That's probably on me, but it just goes to show that he kind of has settled into what you expect from him. Matt, thank yeah. you so much for taking the time. We certainly will uh, would love to have you again at some point, and we'll make sure that happens. Absolutely, Sean. Have a good night. All right. Yes, same to you. His name is Matt Herdlicka. Again, the real Herdlicka on Twitter. Myself at StatsSAC, the show at Locked on Grizz. Make sure you check out the show. This audio version, only this time around, we will. There is another, you know, Locked on Grizzlies preview in tonight's game against the Miami Heat out on YouTube and where podcasts are available. But for Matt Herdlicka, my name's Sean Coleman. We'll talk to you again soon here on the Locked on Grizzlies podcast.